This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in the games life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, checking in, man. Feeling great on this Saturday, man. Got some great energy flowing through. How the rest of y'all doing? What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Kelly, checking in. Feeling great out here in West Texas on this lovely Saturday. How you doing out there, Jared? Man, I can't complain. What's good, y'all? It's your boy Jerry checking in, man. I'm just enjoying this lazy little gray Saturday, man. Give me some sleep and stuff, person. I'm telling you, man, been a lazy one for real, bro. It's been pouring down on us, man. Yeah, man, I know that weather out your bad, too, but look, y'all, we ain't came for the weather. We got another great episode, another, another great one. And this time, we got you bringing a powerful sister from Chicago, living in Atlanta, currently a financial coach, empowering women, and, like, dropping gems on the TL. We got Miss Latasha Kennard. Latasha, how you doing? I am wonderful. So glad to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We can't wait to get started. And uh, we're just going to jump right into it. And the way you normally right. start off is, like, just how'd you get to where you at right now? Like, what's your background story of kind of, like, what did it take for you to become a financial coach for seven years? You say it like that's just such a simple question. Well, look, like, take, take, eat, eat it, <laughs> look at it like some food on a plate. Eat as much as you can at a time. All right, all right, I got it. So when you think about me being a financial coach, one thing you have to know is that I'm from Chicago. And I'm not just from Chicago, I'm from the South Side. I'm not just from the South Side, I'm from the Wild Hunters. 
that's a place where the tourists don't go there. You can't roll up over in those neighborhoods unless you live there or you know somebody who lived there. And people who are born in that zip code, they usually die in that zip code and they stay in the same economic statuses that they were born into. But from a very young age, I decided that I wanted something better for myself. And the way that I came to that conclusion is because I was reading everything I could get my hands on. It didn't matter what it was. If it was in my school library, I was reading it. It could have been comics. It could have been British literature, whatever it was, I was reading it. And what that allowed me to do was see a world that was beyond my block. Because on my block, it wasn't a whole lot happening. You know, it was a lot of gang violence and a lot of unemployment and people hanging out and no shade because I love my community. I love where I grew up. It just, I wanted to expand my horizons and books allowed me to do that because I could see beyond, you know, the neighborhood that I was born into and start to imagine that there was something more for me. And so I started to get really serious about two things. When I was five years old, I decided that education was going to be my ticket to a better life. If I wanted to create something better, I needed to know stuff. And so I got very serious about my education. And when I was 10 years old, I got very serious about my money. And I created my first financial system when I was 10 years old. By the time I was 13, I had more money than everybody in my house combined, mom, dad, everybody. And my dad is looking at me like, um, where are you getting all this money from, ma'am? And he literally asked me, are you accepting money from boys at school? Because my dad didn't play that. <laughs> he didn't play that at all. And so from there, I went on to attend one of the top universities in the country, graduated and went to work for a Fortune 50 company. From there, I quit my job to start my own business. So I started investing when I was in college, got my first rental property right after I left corporate America. And I've just been expanding my portfolio after that. And everything that I do has been founded on this idea that I don't want to be poor and I don't want to perpetuate poverty and I want to lift everybody up together. But now trying to stay out of poverty is not enough. You know, that survival mindset is one thing, but that thriving mechanism is a whole different beast entirely. And so now I'm shifting into how do I thrive and how do I help others thrive as well. That's just beautiful. Like, I love the story, and I really want to go back because I can't pass up on that huge part in there. You said when you were 10, you came with your first financial plan in this. Yeah. Three short years later, you found a way to have more money than everybody in your house. In my you family. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> what did that look like? Like, what, what is it like creating a financial plan at 10? Can you give people some insight on that? Like, how? Sure can. And this is going to be so dope because people think that things have to be complicated and really... My expertise is in simplicity. I believe in the art and science of keeping things simple. And something that I don't normally tell people on these podcasts, this will probably be my first time sharing it. And I think as I get more comfortable in myself and my story, I'm willing to share more and more. But my dad was a gambler and my mom is an alcoholic. And they're incredible people. Don't get me wrong. They made me everything that I am today. But they also demonstrated some traits and habits that made me started thinking about things in a different way. And I say that because keeping money in my house was not an easy thing. Not only was I saving it, but I had to hide it. 
right? I had to make sure that people weren't stealing it, you know, and that just is what it is. Don't feel no type of way about my parents. Everybody has their own struggles and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it, it makes you who you are. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's part of your story. That's how yeah. you learn to do what you do. Exactly. And so I was like, all right, how I see that my parents know how to make money, but they don't know how to keep money. What can I do to keep money? And when I say that I created a financial system, here's what I did. I got a composition notebook. You can get a composition notebook at the dollar store for a dollar. And what I would do is I would write down the amount of money that I had at the start of every day. So my dad gave me an allowance. It was $20 every two weeks. And so if once my dad gave me an allowance, I would write down, okay, today is Monday. On Monday, I'm starting off with $21. And if I went to the candy store and spent 25 cents, I would write minus 25 cents. And if my auntie came over, I'm like, auntie, can I have a dollar? And she gave me a dollar, I would write down plus $1. And I would keep track of the amount of money that I made throughout that day. And then at the end of the day, I would tally it up and see how much do I have. And then the next day, I would start it all over again. And what that allowed me to do was to see how transactions will impact your wealth before you know it. The everyday person doesn't know this. They go around swiping their credit cards. But at 10 years old, I realized all those transactions add up quick. Because within, this is how I would look at it, within three pages, I could go from $20 to $30 within three days, right, if I'm focused. But if I'm not focused, who knows what'll happen? And so that's how I created my first financial system when I was 10 years old. And what you focus on will flourish. So three years later, I had more money than everybody else in my, I said my immediate family, but really my extended family as well. I was able to save up my first thousand dollars just from flowing my focus to my money and staying, you know, keeping that top of mind. Mm. Hey man, she's spitting some hot shit right here, man. I'm like, she got me amped up because the foresight you had at 10 to know the decisions that I make with the little bit of money that I have is going to affect me in the long haul. Like that's so dope. So, and that's why I said, don't be embarrassed about your story because that makes you who you are. You wouldn't have been able to figure that out if that's not the environment that you had grew up in. And like a lot of us come from the same environment. So a lot of us can't even judge you because it's our story too. So it really kind of make us feel a little bit more relatable, but yeah, like, no, damn, that's like so empowering because at 10, you was able to say, okay, I'm gonna just keep a little debit system of what I'm doing. And now in three years, I'm able to stack up and really I'm good. Like at 13, I know you probably had more money than every kid on the block. Maybe the ones that's not selling drugs. I definitely did. And the one thing I want to point out there is I was accountable. I didn't say, well, my dad is supposed to provide it for me. My mm -hmm. mom is supposed to provide it for me because I realized. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. I can want them to do it but what happens when they don't who is that going to impact me right i can want them to do what they're supposed to do or what i think they should do all day long but if they don't it's going to impact my life and i don't want anybody to have the power to create my life for me i want to be the one that creates it for myself and i realized that 
at 10 years old. And ever since then, I practiced radical responsibility and accountability. So once you saved up that money, how did your family look at you differently? Well, they didn't because, I mean, I've been the one. <laughs> I was born the one, you know. The it's chosen like, one. From the womb, my mom was like, who is this girl? Like, how is she like this? And my dad is like, this girl is special. And so they already knew what was up. It was like, all right, you know, let's go start her bank account, I guess. Like, you know, and my family friend took me to go start a bank account. And, you know, I went through high school, got a job while I was in high school, working at the University of Chicago. And I would work the weekends, Saturday and Sunday. I would pretty much work like 12 hour days because I wanted to, you know, build my bank account. I'm thinking I'm going to go to college one day. I want to have money in the bank. So by the time I went to college, I had a lot of money in the bank. But this is something that I realized. I couldn't have my money and spend it too. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I'm like, I have so much money. This is great. You know, I've never seen this much money before. I want to go spend it. And I was like, wait a minute. But if I spend it, I'm not going to have it anymore. And so I realized that lesson while I was very young as well. You cannot have your money and spend it too when you're on the come up, when you're trying to build something, while you're building that foundation. It doesn't work that way. Like you really got to move with intention like you had mentioned it earlier you got to move with intention and really hold yourself accountable when it comes to finances because if you're not doing those two things like you, you said you were able to make start saving at 10 because you just started paying attention exactly everybody don't pay attention to their money when you pay attention it's like really be like damn my decisions that's really what's causing my problems at the end of the day it starts changing <laughs> your perspective it really does and i can really appreciate how you went from Understanding that idealistically, yeah, it would be nice if the money came from my parents, if my dad or if my mom could give me the money. But at the end of the day, it's my life and I'm responsible for making sure that I stay good. And I kind of want to go back and touch on another point in your story that kind of stuck out to me. It was whenever you said, you know, you kind of engulfed yourself in the books to mm -hmm. escape your reality. A lot of times we let our reality consume us because we feel like there's no out. We feel like, okay, this is what I'm used to. And I know like us, we preach about, you know, controlling what you see on your timeline. But at a young age, you controlled what you saw in real life by turning to books to say, okay, this is my way out. This is how I can start educating myself. And this is how I can really just start seeing more of what's out there. Because mm -hmm. we all know the old saying, if you want to keep something from a black person, put it in a book. But you was able to figure out, you know, Whenever I get into these books, I'm able to see much more than just the south side of Chicago. I'm able to go to Atlanta. I'm able to go to New York. I can go to L.A. all from the power of these pages. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And that's why I like to share, like, what was the thing that gave me a window? Because we're all born into a society and, you know, it's like John Locke says, you're a tabula rasa, you're a blank slate. And by the time you grow up, people have been writing on you. They've been writing their stories. They've been projecting onto you before you had the power to think is, do I want to take this in or not? So, you know, by the time you're five, you already have been inculcated with the mindset that somebody else has poured into you. So how do you start to get power over your own mindset? And reading is a really good way to start opening up yourself and being intentional about channeling your mind to what you want to take in, because your mindset is the key. It's the foundation to everything else that comes after, because you're only going to take action that is consistent with what you think and believe. You're not gonna consistently take actions that are not in alignment with what you believe. 
Bars. And you know, I really agree with that. I feel like that's so heavy what you said in there because of the fact that like those underlying, like you said, with people being a slate and being written on and impressionable on the way growing up, it's like you don't even know some of the time why you believe some of the things you believe. You just go with it. Then you never think about it if you've never given yourself the opportunity to be like, well, hey, you know, question it. Why do I think that way? Why do I think that every time I get paid on payday, I'm supposed to go spend a lot of it and celebrate on myself, different stuff like that. That type of mentality can be indoctrinated into you. Absolutely. And you can indoctrinate it right out. And right. the way that you start to do that, you don't have to know how. You just can start picking up a book and exploring new things and automatically expansion starts to take place. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to go off on a tangent with this because in our community, we don't see us reading as much. So what do you think is some of the solutions? How can we get our younger generation to kind of start picking up these books and start getting inspired? Do you guys have any nieces or nephews? I do. I got nieces and nephews, yeah. So ever since I was young, when, for Christmas, I would buy my sisters and brothers books and they would hate it. <laughs> they would hate it. And when my brother would come to stay, my brother is 11 years younger than me. And so when he would come to stay with me for the summer, he had a reading list, like, bruh, you're not about to stay up in my house and not read no books. That's just not what we about to do. And I would make him read Diary of Anne Frank and, you know, all of these different things. And he hated it. But when he went to college, he was like, oh, I've already read this. Oh, I've already started exercising my brain in this manner. So for you guys, this is new. For me, this is nothing. And he just called me up and he was like, I appreciate it. I didn't like it, but I appreciate it. And so now I call my nephews and I'm like, hey, what do you want for your birthday? And they tell me, I'm like, just kidding. What book do you want for your birthday? Like, <laughs> what book do you want? You know, and I let them know, like, it, and I write something in their book to make it meaningful from, from me. And I let them know, like, this is valuable. I'm not getting you a toy. I'm getting you this book. And I want you to get the books that you like. I want you to learn something. I want you to read it. I want you to talk to me about it. And that's how I start, you know, building up the younger generations to value reading. We have to show them that it's something that's important. Now, I have a question. With your selection of books, why do you make sure to include like a wide variety? Because I heard you mention the diary of Anne Frank. And, you know, with you being a financial coach, a lot of people would think like, why not, you know, money-based stuff or Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Dave Ramsey, why not that first? I would say because before you build anything, you build character and integrity before you build anything else. So when you start to build character and integrity, the money stuff starts to become a lot easier because money is really simple. It's arithmetic. It ain't hard out here. We're not doing, you know, brain surgery. This is one plus one is two. It's going to be two every single day. But what's hard about money sometimes is being, having discipline, being consistent, having integrity, being authentic with yourself. These are the things that I think we should be cultivating in young people growing up and the rest will really start to resolve itself. I think that's super powerful. Like us understanding that the characteristics of ourselves is really the key to gaining wealth, not necessarily Mm -hmm. just the arithmetic, like you said, the Mm -hmm. adding money. It's really the discipline of, of getting yourself to go and doing this strategy and staying disciplined to it. Absolutely. And with that discipline piece, I kind of do want to jump back to a part of your story. You mentioned that after you got out of college, you worked in corporate America and then you left corporate America. Mm -hmm. What was like that process like for you? Like what was the inspiration to leave? (laughs) That's a really good question because I talk real proper, right? I always have, but I'm really from 
like people will be like, oh, you talk so white. I don't know how I ended up talking this way. So it seems like I would flow very well into corporate settings, but it doesn't really turn out that way. A lot of times I feel very confined, like, you know, and I start, I went into corporate America when I was young, right? And so I hadn't quite found my voice yet to assert myself and my freedom to be however I am in any place that I am. So don't think that, you know, you might not feel like you, you like flow effortlessly into corporate spaces, but that's okay. You don't have to. You can find your voice and assert your voice and your freedom to be who you are in those spaces. But I was young and I didn't have these types of, you know, platforms at the time where I could be learning these things from people like people are learning from us right now i didn't have that so i was like i felt really uncomfortable there a lot of the time like don't nobody understands me and i have to put on what i call my white voice so i'll put on my white voice and my white face where like i have to present a certain way and it was tiring it was exhausting and i didn't want to do it and it's not who i am one thing you should know about me i'm authentic like what you see is what you get. That's just how it is. If you don't like it, that's great. If you like it, that's wonderful. It is what it is. And I couldn't flow like that in my corporate spaces. They would look at me like I was crazy. I'm like, okay. And so when it really started to, when I really started to realize I wanted to change uh, my environment was because in corporate America, you know, shit rolls downhill and people kept trying to make me be accountable to stuff. I couldn't be accountable. Like it wasn't my area. And I was like, you don't value me as an employee. You want to, instead of lifting me up, you think that you can beat me down. And I'm not staying around for nothing like that because I know who I am. I know how incredible I am. I know what I bring to the table. And plus, you guys are only using a tenth of my skill set. You have no idea what I'm capable of. So I'm going to take that little tenth that you don't appreciate and funnel my whole self into building something that's for me. And so I had a great run at my company. But when I felt like I wasn't appreciated, I said, you know, this is my two weeks notice. And my, everybody begged me to stay. They were like, you know, we'll make you an SVP one day, a senior vice president. Like you have the potential to become a senior vice president. But I had already started dreaming and their dreams for me were nothing compared to my dreams for myself. And so I left and it was a great run. I don't regret it. I learned so much because I was managing million dollar budgets in corporate America, like working with some of the biggest companies in the world. But I started to see that I could do better for myself and that it was worth it for me to do so. That me being able to be authentic was worth more than any amount of money. And that's what I went with. Mm, that's powerful. That's powerful as hell. And that's crazy because they're like, you know, I can see your potential as being a senior vice president. In your mind, you're probably like, nah, I'm the fucking CEO. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, thank you, but nah. Yeah, so like, that's so crazy. And I kind of want to talk, kind of go back to your story, like in college, because like your energy is just so different. How was that like for you maneuvering in college? You know, you had financial intelligence and you had, of course, I can see more intelligence. How was that really just getting to socialize with other people who probably were more party focused and stuff like that? Well, I went to an academically focused college. so we were grinding like that's what everybody was on we were working like we had study groups at 2 a.m that's what we were doing oh, damn. and we had you know we had fun too on the weekends after we studied it would be literally like i would reward myself by going out so i would study all day and then i'm like all right i'm about to put that up and go out i remember one time 
I was, I went out to this party and I had a test the next day. And so I'm at this party and I'm like there all night and I come back, don't even go. I go to my dorm room and just go straight to the library, still got on my club clothes, just study all night and just go straight to take my exam. Like, bruh, <laughs> that's what it is. And so I think like, you just make it all work. You just yeah. make it all work. However you got to make it work, do what you got to do, especially during those days. I probably wouldn't be able to do that same thing today because I need some sleep. But yeah, that's what I was doing back then. What school did you go to? Washington University in St. Louis. Oh, big bets. Sasha, I do kind of want to go back into the entrepreneurial journey some. So, you know, you left because you weren't feeling appreciated in corporate America. And you made that transition into entrepreneurship. How was that for you? Like, what was that looking like? Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys are bringing out the really key and important components so that when people listen to this, they're going to get what they came for. So this is what you got to know. I felt the spiritual urging to leave my job. And when I did, I was gone two weeks later. I don't play around. I'm not about to be waiting. And so I left two weeks later. That means that I hadn't prepared for it. I wasn't thinking about it. I had actually just signed the lease on a new apartment with a friend. And so my friend, people were asking her, like, are you scared Tasha not going to be able to pay her rent? She was like, look, I'll probably have trouble paying my rent before Tasha had trouble paying her rent. So I had been working in corporate America for two years, and I was stacking, 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 stacking. My mindset was a poverty mindset at the time because I felt like I needed to hoard everything because I didn't want to be poor again. So I would be like, can I spend this $2 on this thing, right? I don't recommend it. I just want you to know just because you shift environments doesn't mean that your mindset automatically shifts with you. That's something that you have to be intentional about shifting. And so I had already been saving money. I had already been investing. I had the cushion that I needed in order to be free to have that FU money. I don't need anybody or anything. Like I don't need this job to sustain me. So if you don't appreciate me, I'm out and I'll go try this on my own. Now I moved into the entrepreneurial journey and I was one of the first financial coaches in the industry. This was seven years ago before everybody and a mama was a financial guru, before everybody and a mama was a coach period. And so I didn't have access to these. What Nobody was hosting webinars about how to build your business every day. Nobody was hosting webinars about revenue generation. I had to figure it out from scratch and in a lot of ways by myself through trial and error, figuring out what worked. And so what I tell people is like, for me, entrepreneurship is a journey in becoming who you really are. This is not mm -hmm. about building a business. This is about building yourself, building who you really are. And like people who think that they're about to do this and it's going to be like, you know, oh, I'm just going to build this business. I'm like, you don't know that it's like you are on one side, your business is on the other. And it's like, you know, you're walking on hot coals to get to the other side. That's a lot of, and the journey is so worth it. Like it's everything and then some because in entrepreneurship, you eat what you kill. If you can't kill it, you won't eat it. And hmm. so you have to start to sharpen yourself and sharpen who you are. And then I'll have three people who work for me. I'm responsible for making sure that I do right in my business so that they can eat too, so that I'm bringing in clients so that they have people to coach and I can pay them. If I don't do that, it doesn't just impact me, it impacts everybody. So the leadership skills that you develop, the, you know, when you ain't got the money, you're the coder, you're the graphic designer, you are the business developer, you're the cold caller, you're all of that. And so the entrepreneurship journey is very special in that I believe it has a huge impact on you becoming the person that you were meant to be, because now you're creating abundance from who you are. And that's what I believe that business should be. I love how you broke that down. 
Because like, it really speaks to the grind that you got to go through, though. Like you said, you're on one side and your business on another. A lot of people don't understand that whenever you're really creating something from scratch, a lot of times, yeah, some people will say, you know, get a mentor or whatever. Sometimes it's not easy to just to find a mentor, especially like with you. You are with a new type of business. Right. There's nobody to mentor you through that. <laughs> so you really got to bump your head a lot of times. Even us with building BWR, we still bumping our heads. But it's like, it's so rewarding because like you said, once you start killing and you start eating, you're like, man, this shit fun. Like, this is where you really fall in love with the grind. And you can say, you know what? I got something in myself that I can bring out. And like, once you really start to learn how to create money and create wealth, that's a whole nother type of feeling. Like, you can't tell anybody anything else about it. It's like, hey, man, you can't tell me go back to work while I'm on my phone. I can do this. I can make money on my phone while we talking right now. So like, don't talk to me. And I'm happy you even spoke to those, like the leadership abilities and the, like mm -hmm. the way you start to think differently. Cause a lot of people don't take that into, you know, into account when they're talking about, you know, CEOs and, you know, people that run big companies and stuff. Now, those are people that were responsible for four or five people's paychecks at one given time. And like, they had to make sure that they had things running in accordance yeah. to be able to pay those people. A lot of people oh, don't know that oh. pressure. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's exactly what it is. But that's the pressure that, you know, it make you barbecue a meal do, as we say. <laughs> Wait, yep. what? Yes, sir. It's you ain't never heard that when you go on barbecue, you <laughs> barbecue go on meal do. One or the my brother, nah. you, you barbecue you go on meal do, my brother. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I definitely never heard that. I do kind of want to, uh, <laughs> I want to you just go back to the FU fund. Because, like, just with saving and everything, you know, a lot of people, they don't think about actually building that and the importance of an emergency fund. So could you speak to that? And like with, as a financial coach, just how you get people to start building an emergency fund? Yeah. So the first part about getting people to think about their future is helping them understand that you're worthy of it. If you are not planning for the future that you want, it's only because you don't think that you're worthy of it. Because if you knew that the actions that you took were going to build something that you wanted, what would stop you from taking those actions? So you either think that this isn't going to work, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to be consistent, or I don't deserve to have the things that I say I want. And a lot of times we don't even know what that's, you probably, people will probably listen to this and be like, that's not true. Like nobody is going to think that they're not worthy. But have you ever had that feeling like things are going really well and you're like, man, something going to happen. Like something going. I've had those feelings all the time. You're like, this can't last. That's because a lot of us, black people in particular, we were not, we weren't steeped in an environment that was conducive to our growth and development. And when we are now experiencing all this positivity and all of this nurturing, it starts to feel too good to be true. So when you're thinking about building your emergency fund, you have to know that you have a future and it's worth planning for. You have a future and it's worth planning for. You're worth planning for. And when you start to think about it like that, I like to tell people like, you have to make decisions today that are gonna benefit you right now and you tomorrow. Because one day the you now is gonna be the you tomorrow and you're gonna be pissed at the you from now because you didn't do what you needed to do, right? Hmm. So put in the work now to make sure that, you know, 10 years from now, you've done right by yourself. And when you step into those shoes of who you're gonna be 10 years from now, you get to reap the benefit of everything that you worked so hard for. One of the things that my boyfriend often says is he thinks about what gift is he gonna give to his future self, right? Mm -hmm. Is he gonna learn a language right now that he can give to his future self? What is it? 
gift yourself with an emergency fund. And, um, and even if you just start saving, like I say, start off by saying, all right, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna get to 500, right? Get that. You could do that. Even if it's just a hundred dollars a check and then say, all right, I'm gonna get to 1000 and then 3000 and then 5,000 and just keep building it up. until you have six months worth of expenses. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's a dope way to look at it. And I kind of want to talk about, I know you said at one point you were like hoarding your money. Was there a point where you kind of flipped the switch and say, okay, I need to start investing this money so it can start working for me? Even when I was hoarding, I was investing. So for me, hoarding, I was investing because while I was in college, I went to a, a seminar and mm-hmm. the person who was speaking, he was this old white man and he showed an example of two people. The first person, he said, they started investing when they were 18 and they started investing 100 a month every single month for 10 years and then they stopped. The second person did not invest for the first 10 years of their life, but they started to invest every single year after that for the rest of their life until they were like 60, right? And so what he showed us in that example was the person who invested for 10 years versus the person who had invested for 30 years but waited, the first person had more money. The reason is time value of money, compound interest. And I say, look, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know I want more money than less money. So what I'm going to sit here and act like I didn't just see this, I don't understand how people operate that way. So I'm going to just sit here and act like I didn't just get that good information. No, I went home that same night. I typed in how to invest literally. That's what I typed in. And then I started getting all that information. By the next day, I was an investor. So did you invest through the stock market? Mm-hmm. Is that your primary form of investment or do you do any like real estate, anything like that? So I did some real estate before, then I sold all of those and sold it and put it into my business. And now my main form of investing is really having my business be a revenue generating asset that makes me money and that will allow everything else to work. So I definitely invest in the stock market. My business is a huge asset right now and I'll definitely be getting back into the stock market sooner rather than later. Okay. And I kind of I, I like the focus in that. Like, you know, a lot of times uh, we, we talk about investing and diversifying and a lot of that. But a lot of times in order to get your like your business, especially with your business, to get it where you want to get it, you got to take that time and like kind of block out some of the other avenues that might seem fruitful now that are going to require time. So you can really invest that energy to get that business to that point where we try to get it. And to that point, a lot of people are just doing it because they see people on the timeline doing it. And Twitter is a very influential place. So if you hear people talking about wholesaling and they're talking about options trading and they're talking about mobile home investing and vending machines and you see them doing all these things and you see them making money, well, now all of a sudden you want to do it. I'm just like, you know, get some alignment with yourself. Stop being so easily influenced by whatever shiny new object is in front of you. Now, all of those things are dope. And I, I, I think it's great to do that, but build that foundation first. And a lot of people are doing it without the foundation. So my question is, so let's say I am one of your, I guess, uh, one of your customers and I'm having trouble with 
sticking to one investment vehicle because I see all these new shiny objects. What is a way that I can build on my foundation? What do you suggest that they find? Like, what do they have interest in? Or do you try to just pick one and go with it for five to 10 years? Or how do you suggest they go? Yeah. So one of my programs is called the asset acquisition program. And our goal is to focus on you acquiring an asset. In every program that I do, we have an intention. And I don't have courses where it's like, we're about to do everything. If you do a program with me, it's like, okay, the purpose of this program is to increase your net worth. This is how we're going to do that. And this is how much we're looking to do. And at the end of it, you can see, did we meet our objective or not? In my asset acquisition program, the intention is that you leave with an asset. And you can see very clearly at the end of it, did you leave with an asset or not? And I like to work like that because it has everybody be accountable to a very specific thing. So in these programs, what I do is the first thing that we look at is I have a scale that you start to say, like, I want something like this. I want something like this. And it starts to hone in on what type of asset would be best for you, will make sense for you right now. Are you trying to put in a lot of time or not? Right. Do you have a lot of capital to start with right now or not? So we, I start to ask them questions that will help them figure out, that regardless of what they want, what can you do right now? So we look at how much money do you have to invest? Do you have 10000 or 50000 If you got 10000 you're going to be looking at some different options than if you have 50000 And then we look to see how much time do you have available to put in this? How much knowledge do you have? How long is it going to take you? And then from there, we hone in on the asset that would be best for you. And then we focus on that. So focus is a huge part of everything that I do. And it goes along with my passion for simplicity. One thing I really like that you uh, you spoke on earlier, I didn't get a chance to hop in and like really commend on it, was like starting where you are in plans or in preparation to like set up your future self. Mm-hmm. I really like that you spoke on that and that that's like a part of the mentality switch that you help people with because a lot of people struggle with that, in my opinion, because of They'll see, you know, for example, I got my stimulus check, my $1,200 today. I don't know if I'm going to last till next year because I might get sick or, you know, anything, you know, but people usually use that threat of the future. And now kind of listening to you, I think it might even be like they feel like they're not worthy of that future to not invest or not save that money or plan for something that could happen in the future. Absolutely. That was deep, Jared. I kind of like the way you uh, broke that down, my brother. Hey, man, I see a lot of people struggle with that. That just, and I didn't really have words to put to it until she described it like that, and it made a lot of sense. I was over here making faces like, dang, do I, <laughs> do I not be worthy of thinking I'm worthy myself? Like, no, because like a lot of people, you know, they'll be like, you know, well, I can't do this because I'm in this situation right now, so that's going to affect me forever. And it's like, well, if you don't change your situation, then yeah, that's yeah. going to affect you forever. That's exactly it. Hey, yeah, she's been busting my head, too, since we've been on here, man. <laughs> and I kind of want to go back to your business and, like, what it was like whenever you first started coaching, though, like, after, you know, you got your systems and everything, once you got your first client, what did that look like for you? When I got my first client, I charged $250, and I was going to create a, I was helping them put together a wealth plan. It was really awful. It was an awful product. <laughs> And I'm so grateful for all of those people who were with me in the early days and who like helped me. My expertise is not necessarily in finance. Anybody can go learn finance, like pick up a book and go read something. My expertise is actually in being able to take information, break it down, simplify it and create a system around it. And now you don't have to think about it that much. All you got to do is follow the system. 
so that's my expertise and I really do it with everything. And so when having clients come in and serving them, I was building up, I was creating a methodology, but I couldn't create this methodology from nothing. I needed people to help me figure out what is this like and help me, you know, get on the path to designing something. And a lot of the times there's a lot of scamming going on in the marketplace. And if you buy a product from me, it might not be perfect. If you got coaching from me five years ago, it absolutely wasn't perfect. And for those of you who are business owners, this is what I want you to know. You might put out something that's not perfect and that's okay. But it's, where's your customer service? What is your mm -hmm. customer service like? Because even if I don't have a perfect product, my customer service is pristine and we can get that product to where you need it to be. So if I set an expectation, that expectation wasn't met, don't worry about it. Just talk to me. Let me know what you needed and I'll make sure that I provide it because my intention is to make sure that I'm serving my customers. So my very first customers helped me to be able to create the systems that I use and implement today. And I have to go from being unsure of myself. Like, do I have what it takes? Right. Because when you're unsure of yourself, you don't charge what you're worth. Right. And you don't serve your clients because you don't have the strength to give them what they need. You let them run you instead of you really creating the structure that they need in order to be successful. And so now these days I'm very grounded in who I am. I'm grounded in what I offer. I know the value that I bring to the table and I know what I can do for my clients. And if there's ever any time that I'm not providing that, which can happen because I'm a human and I do not, I'm not perfect. I never will be. And I don't want clients who think that I am. But what I am is generous and what I am is genuine. And so if you need something and it hasn't been provided, all you have to do is ask. And I think that's what separates good business owners from wannabe business owners. That's the facts. I definitely agree with that. Like that customer service aspect of it is so huge because like your product, no matter how great it is, like you can have the best franchise model ever. Like McDonald's has a great franchise model. Burgers still come out wrong. Like exactly. they're still going to happen. Like, as long as you're actually willing to try to like fix the issue and work with the people there. And I also want to flip that and put it on the consumer as well, especially we as black people. We can be so hard on black owned businesses. Make sure that you're giving that person advice so that they can grow from it or so that they can get better from it. Don't just, you know, have one bad interaction and be like, you know, oh, this is why I can't deal with black folks now. You don't say that whenever you go to McDonald's and they get something wrong. Oh, this is why I can't deal with white folks now. You yeah. just going to be there tomorrow to get your coffee. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh people are so hard on black businesses i was running it and like my business i don't have this huge conglomerate it's like me and so mm -hmm. when it's like erica badu said i'm sensitive about my shit so when you start talking <laughs> about my business i'd be like whoa 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 and the other day like i have my stock market mastery course right now and it's a dope course i know that it inspires people to take action it doesn't have you know, it cuts through a lot of the fluff to give people the information they need to take action. And one person came on my post and was talking shit about it. And I'm like, hey, like, do you even have the course? And if you do have the course and it didn't meet your expectations, hit me up. Like, you know, you can help me figure out what it is we need to add to the course and I'm on it. It's not a thing, but don't come on my place where I'm trying to make money and then bash my product or service. It's just not cool. And I want to speak on that because I feel like the environment of Twitter kind of festers that type of shit where people will be like, oh man, this person is so terrible. And then everybody just start throwing shit and it's just like a big ass fucking shit show now. Sorry to say that word so many times, <laughs> but, but it's just like, damn man, like why can't you just 
give that person the opportunity to provide customer service. Why can't you be like, okay, man, this is what I thought about your product. And this is where I saw you were lacking. You probably have some good points in it too, but this is what I saw you might need some work in. Like we need to learn how to give constructive criticism, but also take it. But I just feel like we automatically go to saying somebody's scamming us or this person is a terrible business owner. You don't give this person the opportunity to actually grow and become who they should be. Absolutely. I'll just expand on that Twitter, like internet thing. Like I just feel like that's, people's perceptions like you know because whenever you typing shit out a lot of times i think it's always taken in negatively i don't understand why that's like people's general like way they sway to when they read anything on the internet they read it as an attack or like they say it in a way that doesn't truly clarify what they're meaning so like it's clarity on both parts that really need to be like expressed because the business owner needs to fully understand that like a lot of the times people aren't really like trying to just straight up demolish you all the time. They just don't know how to say the shit the right way, like mm-hmm. in a public setting. And then with consumers, they have to find a better way to express their opinion sometimes. That's true. Well, we're going to pivot to the last segment of the show. We're going to do what's on your timeline, Latasha. So what's something that you've seen on social media that you just want to speak on? Oh, you know what? It's kind of in line with that negative energy that we see on the timeline sometimes. I see that a lot of business owners resort to drama in order to get likes, in order to sell their products, in order to get followers and stuff like that. And so there's that, right? There's the thing where business owners are engaging in practices that I just don't think are integrous. And it's like, we love to be entertained. And so people will be drawn to you based on the entertainment factor instead of looking at what it is that you're actually offering Mm. and that just drives me up a wall the other thing that drives me up a wall that i'm seeing on the timeline is everybody and their mama want to be a financial educator everybody wants to sell options courses and forex courses that i'm like and they literally don't know they don't have any foundation in finance they don't have any foundation in education they don't have a foundation in really investing and it drives me crazy. And so one of the things I wanted to say to people who just are out here, because I get it, you know, we want to make money. And when we see somebody else making money, it seems like, you know, we can attach ourselves to that. And that could be a good look. What I want to say to people is that you have something that you were born to do. There's so many unique gifts and talents that you have that we need. The world doesn't need another options course educator. And we probably don't need another Forex trader doing, if you got your own, no shade to those industries. Like if you got your own educational methods that you're putting on it, great. But if you're just doing it because everybody else is doing it, I would say, and this goes for anything, not just those types of courses, but if you're doing something that's not in alignment with who you are, figuring out what you want to do in this life is probably one of the hardest things ever, but it is going to be so worth it. It is going to be so rewarding you don't have to follow somebody else's blueprint you are your own blueprint for what you were born and meant to do you just have to be willing to put in the work to figure it out because the journey isn't going to be easy but i do think it's going to be worth it and i do think that no matter what it is it can be profitable i saw somebody people eat on youtube people literally just eat food on youtube and make millions of dollars there is nothing that you can't do in this world that you were meant to do that people won't pay for. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, this sister came on here to drop some bombs. When I, yeah, man, we need to get, I'm going to insert a <laughs> little. Like, the snaps oh, off, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Y'all are silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we do want to say thank you so much for this great episode. You came through, dropped some de- hella knowledge, hella gems. And we just, I'm blown away by your story. And uh, once again, thank you. Yeah, for it's sure. It's really my pleasure. Latasha, could you please let the people know like where they can find you at on social media or if anybody's interested in your coaching services, where they can find that? Yeah, also, yeah, what, yeah. What, what services do you offer, too? Because I heard yeah. asset acquiring. I know that's something people interested in. Ow, yeah, come acquire some assets with me. Get this some money. Okay, so let's see. You can find me on Twitter at FinanceSis. That's F-I-N-A-N-C-E-S-I-S. FinanceSis. You can find me on Instagram at your finance sis. So that's the same thing, but with your in front of me, definitely check out my website because that's going to take you everywhere you need to go. I got the blog. I have free consultations. I have lots of stuff over there. So my website is called goddessstay.com. And goddess stay is a word that I made up. And it just means I acknowledge your power to create the financial future that you want for yourself. So it's like goddess stay, like namaste, get it? And I just want to acknowledge your financial power. It doesn't matter where you are. You have what it takes to get to where you want to be. And the services that I offer is I help people take control of their finances by creating financial systems that consistently and reliably increase your net worth. So if you want to be creating wealth more consistently and more reliably, and you want to be able to look out 12 months from now and say, all right, I'm going to have this, 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 and this then come holla at your girl. And then after we do that, after we lay that foundation, we can start thinking about other things like investing, acquiring assets, reducing your tax liability, and all that great stuff. Beautiful. Love it. Well, Natasha, like Jayla said, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to hop into a couple of housekeeping items right before we wrap up. Everybody, as always, thank you for tuning in week in, week out to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Continue to like, share, subscribe. It helps us grow the show. And spread knowledge with our future friends. Yeah, I just want to say, once again, thank y'all for listening. Um, y'all check out our website, blackwealthrenaissance.com. You can check out our blogs. We're constantly updating. Y'all join our news list. We always send out some exclusive content. You'll be able to see some exclusive webinars that we got coming up. And uh, I know my boy, Jared. Jared got some good news for y'all, man. Got a little something, something, just a little something, something. So I was able to release the Credit Fundamentals 101 course presented by Blackwell Renaissance. Going through there, it's just basically all the different stuff with, uh, you know, building your credit, getting started with credit, understanding credit, how it works. Just go check that out. It's a great course. I even explain to people how they can get their rent reporting positively to their credit. So y'all go check that out. Get your credit right. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. This is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing out the paper. All I know is blood money marathon. You can catch me with a dime piece. Me and the money inside me. 
What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Shonda, and I am here from the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast. If you're a fan of psychology and mental health, be sure to check out and subscribe to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, a show that covers and talks about buzzing topics in pop culture, mental health in the black community, and faith-based topics. And it's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators.